I'm glad to be here with you. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to open the scriptures to you. Grateful to your pastor for inviting me to be a part of this missions conference. I believe it's the first one, is that right, uh, Bert? And uh, we hope uh, the first of many. I said to the earlier congregation, you are, you are a recipient of God's favor, and Bert, Daniel is your pastor. Surely you know that. And if you don't know that, let me help you to, to know that. And for many reasons, he's a faithful expository preacher of the Word of God and a man of truth and integrity, but he has a heart for the nations. And sadly, there are far too many pastors that have a heart for the nations, uh, pastors that are afraid to invite missionaries to come to their church for fear the Lord might call them to <laughs> go far away. And uh, when I was a student at seminary, Southwestern Seminary, Fort Worth, Texas, I always I seldom missed chapel, but I always made sure I went to missions day. We had missions chapel twice a semester, and I would look around the, the room and find that some of my fellow classmates who were faithful to go to chapel would never show up on missions day. And uh, the reason is a fear that God might call them to go to the nations. I want to say, you don't have to fear the will of God. The Apostle Paul wrote the church in Rome and said, this is the will of God, good, pleasing, and perfect. And it is the better part of wisdom to embrace God's will for your life, whatever that, that will may be. Now, I want to ask you this question. It's the same question that the Lord asked Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Who will go? Who from Berea Baptist Church will go to the nations with the glorious message of salvation? Who from Berea Baptist Church will go to those who have never heard the name of Jesus? Who from Berea Baptist Church will go to the Hindu world scattered across South Asia, about 850 million strong? Who will go to the Buddhist world in Southeast Asia, 380 million strong? with little or no knowledge of the gospel of salvation? Who will go to the Muslim world scattered across the planet from North Africa through the Middle East, Central Asia, all the way to Indonesia and to Western China? Who will go to the Muslim world? Over a billion souls perishing without Christ. Very devoted in their religious belief as they bow before Mecca, praying to a God who does not exist. Who will go to the animist world of Africa? Who will go to secular Europe with the gospel that Jesus saves? Furthermore, who will go to the growing number of internationals who are coming to these shores? In your city and in my city, there are hundreds, yes, even thousands of people from India and China and Iran and Turkey and other places where it's hard to get the gospel. Not impossible, but just hard. But they've come here. Who will go and share the gospel with them? Who will say with the prophet Isaiah, when the Lord says, who will go for us? Who will say with Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me? Well, the answer is found in this text of Scripture this morning. 
And I want you to see this morning as we look in Isaiah chapter 6, the four stages that Isaiah experienced before he was willing to come to the place to be used of God. Would you give attention now to the reading of the Word of God, Isaiah chapter 6. We'll begin with verse 1 and read through verse 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. They were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Who will go? Well, Isaiah said, I'll go, send me. But I want us to work through these four stages here of Isaiah's response to the call of God in his life. First of all, I want you to see with me in verses 1 through 4, those who will go are those who have experienced God's holy presence. We're not going to go until we've experienced God's holy presence. Isaiah encountered God. And when he saw God, he saw God in all of his holiness. Look in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, King Uzziah had been on the throne for 52 years, and now he had died. And there was certainly concern in the nation about what will happen to our nation. Our king is gone. But the good news is the Lord God is still on the throne. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. Isaiah experienced God. Now notice again in verse 1 he says, I saw the Lord, he was seated on a throne. And this throne was high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. God was ruling and reigning from his eternal throne, and he still rules and reigns from his eternal throne. Verse 2 says, and above God, above him were Sarahs. Sarahs were fiery, burning, heavenly, celestial creatures who live to praise God and serve God. They are creatures who attend to the Lord. And Sarahs are found no place else in the Old Testament except right here in Isaiah chapter 6. And notice the description of them. They had six wings. This is verse 2. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. This is an act of humility. And with two they were flying. This is an act of their service to God. And they were calling out, verse 3 says, and this is what they were saying to one another. They were, they were calling out antiphonally back and forth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. 
Here we see something of the holiness of God. Now, the Bible from Old and New Testaments declares that God is holy. God is certainly more than holy. God is love. God is gracious. He is righteous. He is just. He is merciful. He is long-suffering. He is kind. He is compassionate. But if we had to just use one word to describe God, I think the word that I would use, if I just had to say you had to use one word, I think the word I would use would be holy. Our God is holy, and our thrice holy God. He is the God not only of Israel, but He's the God of all the nations. And these, these seraphs cry out back and forth, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a holy God, as we shall see as it happened to Isaiah, because we are not holy. But I don't want a God who's not holy to you. I don't want a God in my image. I don't want a God that I can create. I want the, the, the God that I worship and adore to be the one true and living God who is infinite in majesty and glory and splendor, who is the thrice holy God of Israel and the nations. Verse 4 says, At the sound of their voices, as these seraphs cried out, Holy, 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 the doorposts and the thresholds of the temple shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. What an awesome worship encounter. The building, the temple of God shook and the room filled with smoke. Now you know there are churches you can go to today where you have smoke in worship, but it's pseudo-smoke. It's generated by a machine. When God moves in, we don't, He doesn't need our help. And this was an, this was an awesome encounter that Isaiah had when he saw the Lord. Who will go to the nations? Who will go to the Muslim world? Who will go to the Buddhist world? Who will go to the Hindu world? Who will go to the atheistic world? Who will go to the animistic world? Who will go to China? A billion people in China without Christ. Who will go? Well, if you're like Isaiah, and I believe this is the way God works, first of all, you must come to the place where you experience God in all his holy, infinite majesty and presence. But there's a second stage that Isaiah went through here in verse 5 we see. That second stage, it is this. Who's going to go? Those who have been broken by their own sinfulness. I don't believe we're going to go until we've been broken by our own sinfulness. Like Isaiah was broken by his sinfulness. Look in verse 5. Isaiah cried out, Woe to me! I'm undone, I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah saw God in all of God's holiness and purity, white hot splendor, then Isaiah looked at himself and he saw himself as sinful, impure, unholy, guilty, he said, I, I'm, I'm ruined. Woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among people of unclean lips. Do you understand that your speech reflects the character of your heart? The things we say give away what's in our heart. Jesus put it this way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
If your speech is Christ-honoring, then you have a Christ-honoring heart. If your speech dishonors Christ, if it's filthy, impure, immoral, then you have a filthy, impure, immoral heart. Well, Vance Havner used to say, what's down in the well is what comes up in the bucket. And if unholy speech comes out of your mouth, you have an unholy heart. Isaiah had an unholy heart. Isaiah said, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I am, I am ruined. When Isaiah saw God in all of his holiness, Isaiah saw himself in all of his depravity, his radical depravity, and he cried out, I'm ruined, I'm, I'm undone. Be true for us. When you and I see God in all of his holiness, then we're going to see ourselves in all of our sinfulness. And like Isaiah, we're going to cry out, I'm ruined. Have you come to the grips with your own sinfulness? Have you come to the place in your pilgrimage where you, you, you recognize that you have offended our holy God? You have transgressed his holy commandments. You are worthy of nothing but his wrath and his judgment against your sin. That your only hope is the grace of God revealed in the cross of Christ. You see, far too many people in our day have the idea that salvation is something that God and man sort of work on together. God does his part and we do our part. Sort of like salvation is a, is a tune-up. No, salvation is not a tune-up. Salvation is a major overhaul. It is the radical transformation of a sinner's heart with a new heart. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And Isaiah was broken by his own sinfulness. Isaiah couldn't go to be the prophet that God called him to be until he dealt with the sinfulness of his own heart, and neither will you or I. Who will go? Who will go to the nations? Who will go to the Muslim world? Who will go to the Buddhist world? Who will go to the Hindu world? Who will go to the Marxist world? Who will go to secular Europe? Who will go to the world of tribals and animists all across the developing world? Well, first of all, it will be those who have experienced God's holy presence. Second, it will be those who have been broken and convicted by their own sinfulness. But there's a third stage we see here in verses 6 and 7. The third stage is this. Those will go are those who have experienced God's cleansing from sin. We will not go until we've experienced God's cleansing from sin. That's what happened to Isaiah. Look in verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphs, one of these fiery burning creatures, celestial creatures, flew to me, Isaiah said. He had a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah experienced the cleansing of his own sin as an act of God's grace. He was cleansed from sin so that he could be in a position to hear the call of God in his own life. Now, salvation is God's, God's grace gift to us in which we exchange our sin and our guilt for His righteousness. We are justified by His grace. We are clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There is a positional righteousness, which is ours, which is imputed to us through faith in Christ. But there is a practical righteousness, which is a daily experience of surrender to the Lordship of Christ and a daily receiving the cleansing, forgiving grace of Jesus against our sins. Isaiah experienced the cleansing, forgiving grace of Jesus against his sin. His sin had been atoned for, his guilt taken away. Like Isaiah, we will not go until we've experienced the cleansing flow of the blood of Christ against our sins. So the question rings down to us today, who will go? Who will go to the Muslim world? Who from Berea Baptist Church will take the gospel to the Hindu world? Who from this congregation will take the gospel to the Buddhist world? Who will go to the Chinese world? Who will go to the Marxist world? Who will go? It will be those who have experienced God's holy presence. Those like Isaiah who have been broken by their own sinfulness. Those who have experienced God's cleansing touch. They are walking now into the freedom which comes to those who have experienced God's cleansing power and touch. Now there's a fourth stage here in verse 8. It is this. Who will go? Those will go who have heard God's voice and who say, like Isaiah, here am I. Send me. Who will go? Those who have heard the voice of God. Who've heard God say, Who will go? And who say, like Isaiah, Here am I. Send me. Look in verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? That's the question of the hour. The question that Isaiah had to face is the question that every one of us has to face today. Who will go? Who will go for God? Who will declare the gospel to those who've never heard? Who will God send? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. Isaiah could not hear the voice of God until he dealt with his own sinfulness. And once he had experienced the cleansing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, then he could hear the voice of the Lord saying, Who is available? And Isaiah said, I am. I am. Send me, God. Send me. Send me to preach your word. Who will go? That's the question of the hour today for those of us gathered in this worship hour at Berea Baptist Church. Who will go from Berea Baptist Church? Yesterday it was announced at the conference that Berea Baptist Church is partnered with our Southern Baptist workers in Madagascar. Teams will be going there to declare the gospel to those who have never heard. Will you be one of those? Will you go? Maybe the Spirit of God has spoken to you over the course of this missions conference. Maybe he's been speaking to you for weeks and months now. Asking you, will you go where I send you? Will you go to the Muslim world, the Hindu world, the Buddhist world, the Marxist world? Will you go? Will you go where those have never gone? Will you go and to shine the light into the darkness? Will you go and say to those who are in bondage to the adversary, the liberator has come who is Christ Jesus the Lord? Will you go? Spirit of God speaks, calling, convicting, wooing those who will go. 
Bill Borden was a man over 100 years ago who said to God, yes. You, you may know that Borden named Borden Derry. When Bill Borden was a high school graduate, he was a millionaire. He inherited a vast fortune as an heir of the Borden Dairy fortune and estate. As a gift from high school graduation, he was sent by his family on a trip around the world. He traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe. And while he was there, as he encountered the vast sea of lost humanity, he experienced a growing concern for the loss of the world. And so he wrote home to his family saying, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. And after making this decision, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. From there, Bill Borden returned to the States. He enrolled at Yale University. During his first semester there, he began a campus-wide student movement to meet regularly to read the Bible and pray. By the end of the first year, there were 150 fellow freshmen who were meeting in his weekly Bible studies. By the time he was a senior at Yale, out of a student body at that time of 1,300 students, over 1,000 students were joined together in these Bible reading and prayer groups. Beyond the campus of Yale University, he, set, he founded the Yale Hope Mission to reach out to the, those on the streets, the homeless on the streets of New Haven, Connecticut. He did all this in the context of his call to foreign missions. After graduation, he was offered numerous high-paying jobs but he declined them all in order to pursue his call to the mission field. At this point, he wrote down two more words in the back of his Bible. Beneath the words, no reserves, he wrote, no retreat. Next, he went to Princeton Theological Seminary where he was ordained to the gospel ministry and then he set sail for China to serve with the China Inland Mission. And on the way, he stopped first in Egypt to spend some time there to learn Arabic because he was going to be working with Muslims in China. And while in Egypt he contracted cerebral meningitis in less than a month, William Borden was dead at age 26. Before his death, knowing that the steps of his life would take him no further, he had written two more words in his Bible. Beneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he wrote these words. No regrets. No regrets. Bill Borden is a man who heard the call of God. And in God's providence, God called him home before he made it to the destination where he set out to go. But his life has served as a testimony and a catalyst to call out many, many more people to the nations. Maybe you are one of those who will go in Bill Borden's place. Who will go? Who will go? Will you go? Some years ago, I was, it's probably 15 years ago now, I was invited to, to teach the Bible for nine days to all of our Southern Baptist workers serving in India and Pakistan and Nepal and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka, Indonesia. We gathered there uh, on the Straits of Malacca in Malaysia, Port Dixon, Malaysia, the Golden Sands Baptist Assembly ground. It's an incredible privilege to spend these nine days teaching the Word of God to our missionaries, getting to know them. Some of the missionaries there were recently arrived from the States, 
and he made it to their assignment. This was their first event, this annual missionary gathering. And uh, they had young preschool children in tow. Some were mid-career, been out 15, 20 years. There were a few there, a few missionary couples. Their children were grown and back in the States, and they'd been out 30, 35 years. They were in their last term, and when they came back on stateside for their next stateside, they wouldn't be going back to the mission field. They'd given their entire adult life to missions. I tried to spend as much time as I could with all those missionaries, but it was impossible. But I wanted to get to know them and hear their stories and especially tried to spend time with those who'd been out for 30-plus years. And I I would ask them this question. Do you have any regrets? I mean, you've been out here your entire adult life with tropical heat and insects, snakes, away from family and friends, strange food, strange culture, learning a new language or like sometimes multiple languages. Do you have any regrets? All the things you've given up to serve Christ and obey the call of God. You know what they said? The only regret I have is I don't have another life to give in service. I wish I was 25 again and could do it all over. I want to tell you, those are the real heroes. Not these whistle pants, whistle britches preachers on TV that are always asking you to send money so they can spend it on themselves. Most people don't know their names, but God does. Their names are writ large in heaven. These are the real giants. The last day, I preached for the last time. They wanted to have a recommitment service. Is there is there a meeting? Not mine. I'm not going to tell them what they can't do. So I was finished. They all came and just stood around the altar, just pressed down there. I stood off at the side. They were singing. And uh, they were singing, take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. I was moved. I, I wept as they sang. You know that, that song has a verse that says, It may be through the shadows dim or o'er the stormy sea. I'll take my cross and follow him wherever he leadeth me. And I thought, it's not just words on a page of them. These people have crossed the stormy sea. And they've come out here and invested their life for a lifetime. Among those that I met out there was a couple that served a lifetime in Bangladesh, Tom and Gloria Thurman. It's their last term, and they were coming home a couple years. They did come home in a couple years, retirement. I hold in my hand the last prayer letter I received from Tom and Gloria Thurman. I want to read a portion of it to you. It says, Dear Prayer Partners, three decades have passed too quickly. 
Two months from today, we plan to depart Bangladesh. We were appointed to missionary service at Ridgecrest. We had first arrived in Dhaka, 1965. These years have been filled with much joy and service. We have witnessed the growth of churches. Christian leaders have been trained. Some poor people have been helped. We have known the presence of our blessed Redeemer, and we thank Him for His grace. The mission has given full assent to the leading of God in our lives. We have had the full support of our missionary colleagues. The Bangladesh Baptist Fellowship has accepted us as its own. We have nothing but gratitude and can only say, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my, our great Redeemer's praise. There have been circumstances we would not have chosen, like earthquake tremors, uh, leprosy, Gloria Thurman contracted leprosy, God healed her. Three robberies, four broken bones, 291 countrywide strikes, 186 flat tires, frequent electricity failure, struggle with difficult language, floods, convulsions, cyclones, one stabbing, famines, tidal waves, drought. John 10, 4 is so true. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. We just skip down to the last two paragraphs. We are leaving, but the task is not finished. We came because of the lost millions of this land. We keep wondering who will come to take our places. Into whose hand shall we place our missionary Bibles? Where are the youth whom God is calling to give their lives in service for preaching the gospel? Who will come to this land to search for the lost sheep? We thank God that one day he tapped us on the shoulder and said, I have a place of service for you. We have walked with him, and our joy has been full. Who will go? Who will go to search for the lost sheep in Bangladesh, in Islamic bondage? Who will go to Nepal to search for the lost sheep in Hindu bondage? Who will go to Thailand to search for the lost sheep in Buddhist bondage? Who will go to the Amazon basin in South America and take the gospel of those remote tribes who live in squalor without Christ? Who will go to the vast cities of Asia? Who will go to the steeps of western China? Who will go? Who will go? Who will say like Isaiah, hear my Lord, send me. Send me, Lord, send me. Send me. Who will be like those that I spoke to for nine days of our missionaries who sang, wherever he leads, I'll go. Who will say, I'll follow Christ who loves me so? Are you one? Would you sing it with me? Wherever he leads 
I'll go. Sing it with me. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. God, our Father, we pray that these will not just be words on our lips that mean nothing, but will be an expression of our willingness to stay right here in the United States of America and bear witness for Jesus, if that's your call for us. But if your call for us is to go to a faraway place where there's little or no gospel witness and shine the light of the gospel of the grace of the Son of God into that darkness, then what we want to say to you is, yes, we will go. Here we are, Lord. Send us. In Jesus' name, and for the praise and renown of his name and his glory among all the nations, we pray. Amen.